You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, Giants fans. You are listening to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is going to feature an interview with Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman. Dan is always a, a good listen Really informative when it comes to the process of the NFL and the thinking behind decision making as uh, as NFL teams make those choices. So we'll talk to Dan about a lot of the process, about a lot of his thoughts on the Giants trade of Odell Beckham, on the decisions that have been made by Dave Gettleman through the offseason, and on the place the Giants find themselves in heading into the 2019 NFL Draft. Before we get to uh, to that interview with Dan, though, wanted to uh, just touch on a few topics of interest as they relate to the Giants. Uh, the first one, you know, we saw this morning the comments made by Saquon Barkley defending quarterback Eli Manning and saying that yes his the criticism of Eli from many in the media and the fan base bothers him I thought this was a terrific thing that Barkley did this was exactly the kind of thing that the Giants organization that head coach Pat Shermer that GM Dave Gettleman, that Giants ownership wants to hear from Saquon Barkley you know no matter which side of the fence you're on with Eli Manning what you want is for your leadership on your team, for your face of the franchise, which Saquon Barkley now is. You want a united front. You want support for your quarterback. And that is what Barkley did. I thought this was exactly you know what ownership and what the organization would have hoped for. So I I liked his comments very much. I thought it was a, a positive development for the Giants. It won't make Eli a better quarterback or a worse quarterback, but it it will help to uh, to keep the the locker room unified and to keep support you know behind Eli you know for however long he happens to be the quarterback. So. Another topic that I wanted to address is the upcoming draft, where we are in the process now. We've seen the quarterback pro days. There are still a few pro days to be held, but we have entered the portion of the draft process where teams will be conducting 
visits at their facility. Teams are allowed 30 official draft visits. The Giants will have many of the top-tier quarterbacks come in for visits. They'll also have, you know, several other players, players who might be, you know, mid-round picks, late-round picks, potential undrafted free agents. So there will be a mix of players coming in to visit the Giants, you know, as the Giants try to get to know them a little bit better. That's always an important part of the process. Pat Shermer said the other day, when it comes to a quarterback, he asks himself the question, you know, do I want to coach this guy? And that not is not necessarily something you can answer, you know, when you watch film. You can see arm strength, you can see foot movement, you you can see pocket presence, you can see a lot of those things, but you can't judge personality until you're face to face with someone, until you're in a room with someone. You can't really judge football knowledge until you see that person get on a whiteboard and diagram plays and diagram pass protections for you, you know, discuss defensive looks and, and things of that nature. So this is a really, really important part of the process. Another part of that process will be the local pro day. That generally involves players, you know, from the the New York, New Jersey area who have ties to to that area either by school that they attended or by where they were, you know, where their their residence actually is. Just to clarify one thing, anyone that attends that local pro day, that does not count against the 30 official visits, so it's a completely separate opportunity you know, for the Giants to, to watch some prospects. And a lot of those guys might wind up with rookie camp invitations, undrafted free agent invitations. A few of them, you know, might be, you know, higher tier prospects who could be considered in the draft. But a lot of that local pro day is about filling out your, your roster depth as the Giants put a 90-man roster together to head into training camp. Also wanted to mention to you guys, the ongoing Giants Mount Rushmore Mad March Madness tournament that we are running at Big Blue View. We've, we're down to the Sweet 16, trying to pretty much mirror the ongoing NCAA men's basketball tournament. Please drop by Big Blue View. Make sure you vote. You know, in that tournament, as we try to determine a Giants Mount Rushmore. Once we do get to the Final Four, that will be our Mount Rushmore. But just to be complete, we will finish with a Final Four and name a champion in that tournament. I think, you know, what we've seen so far is that tournament has been pretty predictable in terms of, of outcome of the different brackets and the, and the one-on-one matchups, but still a lot of fun to go through. We're enjoying doing it. We hope you guys are enjoying participating. And if you're not participating, please you know drop by the site, check out the individual brackets, and, and vote in the polls so that, uh, so that your opinion can be shared. All right, Giants fans, let's turn now, after a quick break from our sponsors, to the interview that I did with Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman. I'm joined now by Scouting Academy Director and a good friend of mine, Dan Hatman. Dan, thank you very much for uh, for spending a few minutes with me today. No, happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Hey, no problem. We always enjoy talking to you. It always turns into 
into an education in uh, in the ways of of in the process of, of how things work in the NFL when we talk to you. Oh, it, that probably stems from the fact that education has become my day job. So, uh, but I look forward to it. So, let's talk a little bit about the New York Giants and about the off season. And I don't really want to start with asking you your opinion of the Beckham trade or your opinion of of any of the moves that the Giants have made. What I want to ask you about is is the 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 mechanics the process of the Beckham trade itself the Giants there's been this impression that you know Dave Gettleman admitted that that the only phone call he made you know to pursue a potential Beckham trade you know or this is what he said publicly is the only call he made was to Buffalo where you know he and Brandon Bean have worked together and the, the Bills were were in on the Antonio Brown thing it, that leaves people on the outside with the impression that Gettleman didn't really shop for the best offer. He just took whatever the Browns were were offering, and and in my view, that's not the case. He was he was taking phone calls on Beckham for a year. So whether he made phone calls and said, "This is the deal I have from Cleveland," he knew who the players were, and he knew you know, what teams were willing to offer. I mean, is, is that fair to criticize him for not, you know, making phone calls to, uh, to shop that offer? When you have to call others to move a player, there's not going to be, that means there's not a robust market and you're not going to get value back relative to how you would picture that player. So in order to return in this case, what they're viewing is multiple first-rounders and then some uh, due to the nature of that trade, you need people to call you. You need people that are calling you and saying, hey, we hear he might be available. Here's what we'd be willing to put down on the table. And it's just a leverage thing. And that's all negotiation is in any business. Anybody that works in any, any realm of business that has a part of negotiation Someone has leverage, right? Someone can walk away. In this case, the Giants have the leverage. They have the player under contract. They can walk away. So you want people that are coming to the table and putting down an offer that forces you to not walk away and stay in the, and stay in the game. And so, no, the idea that he didn't call all 32 doesn't mean he didn't talk to all 32. Uh, however many teams reached out, and we, we won't have an exact number, but I'd I'd ballpark it and say, I bet you 20 teams reached out and at least tried to get an understanding of the market so they could make their own internal, internal decisions. Again, picture yourself as the GM of uh, I don't know, Chicago or something like that, or any team really. Uh, Odell might be available. You'd like to have a conversation about adding that player to your roster. Wouldn't you want to be informed on what that might cost you? You might have an idea in your head going to it, but if you went to the market and found out that it was either a lot larger or a lot smaller than what your intuition might have told you, then that might change the nature of your decision for another team. So you call. You call and you try to find out, you know, what, what's Dave going to need before he's willing to part. And it's not just him. That type of player, it takes everybody. So it's the Tishes and the Maras and Gellman, and Kevin Abrams, and, uh, you know, that's an organizational decision where uh, 
everyone, you know, the, the offer gets put up and people discuss it. Now, don't get me wrong, ownership and Dave Gettleman ultimately have to sign off on it and they're the ones that have to live with it. Uh, but those are not things that you're, <laughs> you're wheeling and dealing off the hip. Um, owners are not, not every owner is uh, making every decision, but a player like that who is, is marketable as he's been and due to the fact of how much money they had just given him the year before, yeah, that's, that's more than just one person in that decision-making process. Oh, sure. And, and the thing that, that I've been saying is that the Giants didn't do it in a vacuum that they had because we've been hearing about Odell Beckham possibly on the market since before he signed his contract. They didn't just have information on what Cleveland was willing to offer. You know, they were sitting, the way I look at it, they were sitting on a year worth of data okay, this is as far as the 49ers are willing to go. This is as far as the Rams are willing to go. You know, they knew how far, you know, these teams were, were willing to go versus what the Browns were offering them. And, you know, that's the point that I've been trying to make. You do. You see all of those things, and then you have to weigh risk-reward on that. So let's say that that package was comparable to another one out of an NFC club, maybe even an NFC club that's in your division. You know, if I'm them, if I'm the Giants, I would like to move Odell Beckham out of the NFC to an AFC club that I can only see every four years or in the Super Bowl. (laughs) I don't want to play that game at the time. You know, you're not getting rid of him because he can't play. Um, so you're getting rid of him because you think there's more value in not having him and getting those resources back than having him. That's clearly the decision that was made. So, but at the same time, you still don't want to play the guy. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking at all those offers, who are those offers from, which parts are picks, which parts are players. Again, is this in my conference? Is this in my division? And then, um, you know, again, I, I ballpark. And again, it's, I'm, I'm making up a number, but let's just say 20 teams called chances are 20 teams didn't have that level of package that Cleveland had on the table. You know, I bet you there were teams going, well, hey, if I've got to take that contract, I'm not giving up any more than a one, right? So you're not going to get a one plus or two ones plus. You're going to get a one or maybe a one this year and a two next year, some kind of split thing where I don't have to take so much uh, resource hit right now up front. Um, And so there is a, a very plausible um, outcome here where that was the best offer to return a lot of resources because they ended up bundling the two trades, right? The uh, Olivier Vernon trade and the Odell trade by the time that all got done, got bundled together. So the resources that went out, they got a lot of resources back and um, you get those players, again, out of your conference, out of your division. When you look at this idea that that Dave Gettleman, you know, some people have this idea that that he doesn't have a plan and that he's kind of going off willy-nilly and that every day it seems like a different direction, you know, letting go Beckham, letting go um, Landon Collins, you know, bringing in older players when it would seem like to some people he should be, you know, rebuilding with, with younger players. When, when you look at, at all of that, and you look at where the Giants are, I mean, what do you think actually 
of the offseason that the Giants have had to date and maybe the, the position that, that they've put themselves in heading into the draft? Well, I think when you look at the situation when Dave Gettleman walks in, um, in terms of how Eli Manning is viewed in the building, viewed by ownership, and how he's performing. From that point to this point, we've got two seasons worth of film. I don't see the player, Eli Manning, looking all that different now than he did two years ago. So decisions that were made about him and what he can do and what you can do around him that were made, again, prior to that, um, that hire or at the point of that hire are still going to be an effect to this point. What I think you saw last year was a shot at building around him and building towards a, a competitive playoff push type team around him. And it didn't work out, right? So clearly the results of that season, they're not sitting in a place where that worked out. Um, but I do believe they have taken the results of that and they have pivoted. So this year's off season doesn't look like last year's. And of course that's, that is confusing, right? Cause it's not a, you know, year one to year two don't come with the exact same out or uh, exact same strategy, but it speaks to, they looked at what they did last year. I assume didn't like the results of it in their entirety and pivoted, which is, you know, that's fair game. That's what we all do. Sometimes you test certain theories to see if they work and then you move forward. So moving into this year, the one piece of last year that was really strong was that uh, draft class. So you've got, um, yeah, three starters and another fourth role player that should all be con- continuing to play um, a substantial amount moving forward. So you have that, you know, the Landon Collins move. So I have a ton of respect for Landon Collins as a player, but when you talk about having this year's worth of data from the, the Beckham trade, um, I, I imagine, and again, this is a guess, but I imagine they knew Peppers was available from Cleveland prior to making their final determination on Collins. And so you take a player that's now going to go get top of market value money. Yes, he's going to division, but he's going to get fully compensated and good for him. And then from the giant standpoint, in terms of maximizing resources, you plug in another safety who's going to carry a tremendous amount of that same ability because Peppers is a, a fine player. Um, you do it at a, a fraction of that cost. And with Collins moving forward, you're now in the compensatory game on that pick. The, the problem that, to me, the thing that doesn't match up with that strategy in its entirety is the Golden Tate move. Right, because if you're playing for the compensatories, then Collins moving helps you, but Tate coming in hurts you. Takes that, that takes that back out while adding a potential compensatory to Philadelphia, which is your division rival. So that one didn't, that one two and two didn't equal four. If you're looking at it straight through the compensatory lens, um, but at the, that start, you know, the Peppers move comes in. So then it's, you know, why would you trade Beckham? How do, how do you get to that point of deciding that you want to do that? I think it's a function of your your value set and where you're at in your team build. Um, so I like a dynamic 
outside lane number one receiver, which I think is pretty objective to anybody that watches Odell Beckham. He's going to fit that qualification. And then it's what is that what does that individual piece mean in the context of a championship team? And so I'm in the camp personally of that wide receiver is like the cherry on top of the Sunday or the icing on the cake, but it's not the, it's not the meat and potatoes. It's not the core of the team. You know, I think you have to have a high level offensive line in order to protect whatever your quarterback is or have any sort of passing game. And then to get any sort of run game, again, all that blocking's got to be there. So you have to have an offensive line that can play, which is where acquiring a Kevin Zeitler makes a ton of sense, adding it to Will Hernandez. Uh, now they need to continue to add to that. They, they can't be done yet, but it's it, they're moving in that direction. And then from there, you need to have enough pieces on offense to be dangerous. Um, and you need to have a defense that can keep you from having to put the pressure on your 38-year-old quarterback of being a 35-point-a-game guy. And so it, it's a resource question, and it's I'm not saying it's easy. And I, I don't know if I was in the room and had all the information available to me if I would have made the same decision, but I can see how they got there. And it's we have a piece here in Odell that in and of itself isn't going to win us a championship. We're going to have to go – work on the quarterback position at some point, whether it's this year or next year. We've got to have an offensive line because we've seen while Odell's had phenomenal performance, it still hasn't equated to winning seasons, right? Three and 13, five and 11. Uh, so we can try to build around that piece or we can take that piece and turn it into three, four other pieces. Now you got to hit on that situation you're in now by moving a piece like that, a blue chip piece, to acquire the opportunity to add three or four pieces to your team. You can do that. You just, you got to hit. It's a strategy. Now you just have to make it uh, one that actually has a return on its investment. And so, you know, you're going to need Zeitler to play well and Peppers to play well. You're going to need to take 17 and do something really impactful with it. Um, I don't, you know, people are talking about quarterbacks this year or do you have to spin that off? Can Arizona get it where if they decide to move a Rosen, does New York have to potentially move a pick maybe even that high? We'll see. Um, but there's a there's a line of logic to it. And this is something I learned in, in grad school. I had a professor named Alan Robinson. This idea, book, Ideas Are Free. And the long and the short of it is that everyone's got an idea. Everyone has a strategy. Everyone has a process. That doesn't make it unique. Execution is where it all comes down to. All right, so everyone in the league's got a process. Everyone in the league has a, a ideas and visions and things they believe in or don't believe in or whatever. How will they execute? Whatever that is. And so we're in a position now where I can see how they made those decisions, what went into it. At least from the outside, I can take a best guess at it. Get best guess at it. But now they got a hit. You've turned a blue chipper into the opportunity for four pieces. You better get four pieces. You know, this is the thing that that I've been saying as well. Is 
you, people have been upset about Landon Collins. They've been upset about Odell Beckham, and you get the emotional attachment. But I don't want to, you know, rush to judgment. I think that you're absolutely right here. The Giants have put themselves in a position where they have the 12 draft picks. They have two in the first round. They have something like, you know, right now, and we don't know what the number will be overall, they have something like $100 million in cap space heading into next offseason. We're in that position where this draft and next offseason will pretty much tell us if they're going to be right or not. And I think we have to wait and see how all of that plays out. I mean, that to me, that sounds pretty much like, like where you are as well. Well, and again, it depends on execution. You can't, you can't necessarily create all these things in a vacuum. But if we're sitting here in May post-draft and they've turned, you know, Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham um, into Zeitler, and who's immediately a massive upgrade in the offensive line, and Peppers, who may be a close approximation and in time may be just as good as Collins, if you've turned number six into the best defensive lineman available, which could essentially replace the cost of moving Vernon on, if you've turned number 17 into whatever the next best offensive tackle prospect is and give yourself a more functional offensive line, and if Arizona is willing to part with a player like Josh Rosen, or if maybe one of these next-tier quarterbacks stumbles a little bit or they've just got a higher grade and a lower one, maybe you turn one of your early second-round picks into a quarterback prospect for the future. I think that entire haul, again, it's execution, right? So, again, it's, I can't, we can't sit here and say, like, that's clearly what it is, and so everybody should be happy right this second. But if you give it about six weeks, you're going to see those resources, these picks, turned into players and that entire profile those five or six players in their entirety on paper might look like a really good return for Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham yeah that's the you know we're 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 asking we're asking you know Giants fans and we're asking people on Twitter to have patience and and we know how that goes. Well, there's, there's, they're forced to have patience. <laughs> they can't play games till September. So it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks right now, myself included, because they can't play a game until September. So between now and September, every team is going to build a 90-man roster and then will it down to 53 in a practice squad. So there's going to be multiple roster construction periods between now and week one of the season. So we don't have all the pieces. So all we can do right now is assess each stage of it, and does it seem to add up? Does it seem to be positive? Which is okay. That's everybody's right. We can talk about what we're doing. We're talking about what's happened right now to date, but we don't, we don't have all the information. We don't see the results of all of it just yet. And so I don't think any of us can judge how well it's all been done because it hasn't all been done. Um, I can only judge Odell Beckham in the lens of if you're going to move on for a blue chipper, you better get return. And these days return typically means draft picks. 
And draft capital is fine, except you got to use it on players at some point, and those players better be good. So they've made a decision to move on from a blue-chip player to acquire draft capital in one existing player, and that's fine. You better hit. 17 better be a good player. And Peppers better replace Collins. And I was a third-round pick from there. Better be a good player. And if you do those things, then it can be all right. Um, and maybe you'll have a better team in the entirety because you have more good players than just one blue chipper. But if you don't, if 17 doesn't work out and the third rounder doesn't work out, Peppers isn't what they think he is, then it'll be objectively bad, but it's the nature of the beast. Last question for you. We talk about resource allocation, and there's all the Josh Rosen sort of chatter out there if Arizona takes Kyler Murray which it looks more and more like they're going to do that at this point this far down the road I personally can't imagine that they won't which would mean they would have to move Josh Rosen I mean well that's one of those pieces I gotta say I disagree with go ahead they might take Kyler that doesn't necessarily mean they have to give up Josh I don't know why in this league having multiple quarterbacks. They've already invested a third, a fifth, and the 11th overall pick last year in the guy. What is this mandate that they have to turn around and give 40 cents on the dollar to trade him for a third rounder? If I'm if, if Steve Kime called me today and said, Dan, what do you think? I said, you sit on Josh until you get at least one first-round pick. you got a bite on the third and the fifth. That's possible if the market doesn't come your way. But – I, I wouldn't move Josh Rosen for anything less than a first, and I'm talking about like a top 20 first. I don't want New England's at 32. I want a top 20 player because I just spent a third and a fifth and the 11th on it. And I know that might sound greedy, and well, what if no one comes and gets him? Then no one comes to get him. I still don't have a great offensive line, and I've got a small mobile quarterback who hasn't been injured to date, but nothing says that he won't. Well, it's much like RG3 his second year in Washington. So much like that year, they spent that whole package to go get RG3 and then turn around and spent the fourth on Kirk Cousins. I'm sitting on Josh Rosen until, again, you make me an offer that says, okay, that's fair. Now I'll pass. I'll move on. Um, so the hypothetical I keep seeing around the Giants is, oh, they can maybe just throw a third at this and then see that'll be perfect. If that happens, that's phenomenal for the New York Giants. But I think the conversation better be around pick 17 or that first one in the second round and a bunch more of those 12 draft picks before we start talking about whether or not they can get their hands on Josh Rosen. So you would think it's either that 17th pick or 37 and maybe a four or, or more than that. I'd I'd have to pull up and you, you know, again, the, the sellers and buyers all will talk about different charts and wanting to use them. Unfortunately, as much as the the math shows you that the Jimmy Johnson chart's not valid in its current utilization, it's, it still ends up being the one people want to push towards because, well, they, the sellers want to have that, that big value, that big return to come back. Um, so I have to take a peek at it, but it it'd be plausible. It could be you know, a two and a three or something like that, and whether or not you stretch that maybe to a future three or whatever else is one possible outcome. But um, if it, all it takes 
he's a third this year in the 70s or 80s or something like that. To me, that's an astronomically small amount to give up for that player who chances are would be um, top 10 this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's the thing that I've been trying to find out from people is where they would put Rosen, you know, in comparison to this current quarterback class. And and I don't I don't have that piece yet, but but it's interesting. And and as you said, Dan, it's we have to wait the six weeks, see what the Giants have when we get through the draft. Uh, you know, whether they have their quarterback of the future you know, whether they're able to turn those pieces into something and whether they're able to win some football games in 2019. And it's, you know, and they didn't, they didn't just acquire capital for 2019. They did it for years beyond. I mean, the last few years, people have been looking down their nose to Cleveland Browns about having draft capital, about having cap space. The 2020 offseason, the Giants are going to have considerable amounts of cap space and if they want to go um, acquire certain players they can do it part of the reason Cleveland can absorb a contract like Odell's and I know obviously a bunch of that money went forward but they can now in, in years moving forward is because they had space and so you don't just give yourself flexibility for right now you can't you can't just build for one year you're trying to win right now but you also have to have uh, competent pieces for the year after and hopefully even a couple competent pieces for the year after that and you're trying to stay 24 to 36 month view on a lot of this stuff because if you're just living for the moment and you can't get yourself out of that mindset you will find yourself in a corner you can't get out of you'll have boxed yourself into a bad decision that you don't know what else to do so you'd like to try to give yourself flexibility in as many you know places you can and so with actual cash being a resource and certainly draft capital being a resource you try to manage those accordingly and so yeah we, we are forced to wait the uh right it's only like four weeks here through the draft process but we really we have to wait the four weeks we have to see what happens with 17 we have to see what happens with the additional comp that came back in the trade and um, and see what we got. And at that point, there'll be a lot more objective evidence as to just how good was that move. All right. Hey, always appreciate the insight, Dan. Before I let you go, why don't you tell people who aren't familiar with the Scouting Academy a little bit about that and uh, also let them know where they can find you uh, on Twitter and, and anywhere else. Well, certainly. We got started, uh, we're in our fifth year now, we got started because there was a, a chicken and egg problem with football and that teams wanted to hire people to scout that knew how to do the job, but the only place that you could learn how to do the job was with a team. So, again, it creates kind of a chicken and egg problem. And we simply said that doesn't have to be that way, and we can bridge that gap and allow someone, much like any other industry on the planet, to gain exposure, insight, education on that career path and determine, do I like this work? Am I good at this work? And then if I do check those boxes, if I do like this and I am good at it, then go to the job market and work to find my place. And so we brought in as many uh, 
intelligent peoples we could find. They've spent their lives dedicated to these individual positions to speak about studying receivers, to speak about studying DBs or quarterbacks or any other position and share that insight with our students. And to date, we're four hiring cycles through, but we have helped 29 people go on to NFL opportunities. We have over 80 that have gone on to college football, with 56 being in Division One. that people go on to the CFL, the Alliance, the Arena League. So our students have come in and worked to improve themselves and then taken that to the job market, which has been very receptive. Uh, to them, and, and we're excited about that. And so we're actually starting up our spring semester here, uh, or I'm sorry, our summer semester on May 13th, and registration for that actually opens on April 1st, and you can find us at scoutingacademy.com. All right, Dan, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for spending some time with me, and uh, we'll do this again. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Okay, thanks to Dan for spending some time with us. Always, always learn things when we talk to Dan. He and I have been been doing a couple of shows a year together, you know, for, for a while now. Uh, Dan is always a, a, a wealth of information about how things actually work in the NFL, about the processes that teams go through. And, and it's always educational for us to listen to to Dan describe the the way things are done. You know, it's not necessarily, when we talk to Dan, it's not necessarily about whether he agrees or disagrees with certain decisions, but oftentimes he can explain to us how and why teams arrive at the decisions that they make. And I find that part of the uh, of the discussion to be fascinating. I hope you do as well. All right, with that said, Giants fans, that is our show for today. Please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Check out at Big Blue View on Twitter, Big underscore Blue underscore View on Instagram. Check out our Facebook page. You know, we're we're anywhere you uh, anywhere on on the internet on social media that that you want to participate, you can find Big Blue View there. And I hope that you do just that. All right, Giants fans, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.